the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Trump wins in New Hampshire. It speaks to his superiority as a candidate. It speaks to his incredible record as president. The Supreme Court rules against Texas and that state's effort to control the border. We'll hear from Texas Senator and former Texas Supreme Court Justice John Cornyn. As Governor Abbott said after the Supreme Court made its decision, this is not over. The Senate considers border legislation that does not have funding for a wall. I press Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. I am not going to vote for anything that makes illegal immigration legal. Israel continues their fight against Hamas, with support from the White House seeming a bit wobbly. Senator Tom Cotton. Joe Biden now views Israel and this war as a political liability. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on X at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well there at Town Hall Review. We'll begin in New Hampshire with the second contest in this cycle. The Granite State has a primary in which Republicans and self-declared independents can vote. Many Democrats do re-register. It's sort of an open primary. The results are there. For the GOP, Trump won with 54% of the vote. Nikki Haley received 43% of the vote. Joe Piscopo turned to Hogan Gidley, who served as deputy press secretary under former President Trump. No one on the Republican side has ever won Iowa and New Hampshire. And the reason that's so big is because you have a huge evangelical base in Iowa. And the electorate in New Hampshire, completely different. It is the least church state in the country. And again, not full of God-hating heathens by any stretch. But I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a different folks over there when the <laughs> amount of Democrats and independents outnumber the Republicans that vote in a GOP primary. It's just a different animal. Donald Trump won them both, over 50%, double digits. Yeah. That has never happened before. It speaks to his superiority as a candidate. It speaks to his incredible record as president. And it speaks to his grasp and hold on the GOP that nobody else has ever had in history of the po- uh, history of politics. And, and, now, and also, I've been saying uh, to my to my Trump hating friends, it's like the, I've been saying he speaks on behalf of all of us who are just so suspect and so sick of the lifelong bureaucrats that have just infected Washington D.C. Yes. These horrible people that just won't stop, and that's why they don't like Trump, and that's why people vote for Trump because they know that. And he, you know what, Hogan, I, am I fair enough when I go? You and I. We try to be decent human beings. And you want to just, you don't want to be mean or anything, but I say respectfully to people, to the Trump haters, show me something different. We are listening. We handed the House, the Senate, the White House to this cabal that is the Biden administration, whoever they are, we still don't know. But look at the world where we are now. And respectfully to people who hate Trump, okay, got it, understood, show me something different. Of course not, because there isn't anything but America first policies that 80 percent of this country want. The question is, who's the vehicle for that? 
And I understand some people don't like Trump. You have said this before. Yep. That's the reality of it. That's politics. But now what we've got is the unique situation of a former president with a record of success, with a record of making your life better, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed, and the future generation lives, giving them opportunities they never had before. And now you have a president in the office currently who has made the exact opposite happen to all of us, has really hurt this country. And so the body of work, when you compare the two against each other, again, these are two former presidents duking it out, record against record. Donald Trump has the better record. The question becomes, can you not just turn out the base, which Donald Trump assuredly will? The answer is yes. What do you do to those independents out there who are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? Do we want to go back to Trump? And when they take a look at their own pocketbooks and they take a look at their, the eyes of their children and they realize that future is not as bright as it was because of Joe Biden, they realize crime's up and the world's on fire and our borders open and our taxes are high and our gas is high, they're going to say, wait a minute. I, I can stand a, a tweet or two. I, I need to get I need to get this country back on track and the man to do it. The next GOP contest is in Nevada, where they'll vote on Thursday the eighth. The next most important one, because Nevada's kind of screwed up, is South Carolina on February the twenty fourth, and Michigan on February the twenty seventh. We turn now to the crisis on our southern border. The Supreme Court ruled five to four on Monday that the Biden administration can remove wire barriers put up by Texas. Mark Davis, my colleague on The Answer, 660 a.m. in Dallas, turned to Texas Senator John Cornyn. The Biden White House, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be hyperbolic in talking about the, the war they have waged on the state of Texas. The Biden White House is not serious about the border. Governor Abbott and local officials are. So the idea arose in Texas, doggone it, we're going to protect our own border. We're going to have Texas National Guard. We're going to put up razor wire. We're going to cordon off a park. And, and here come the feds. In the Supreme Court, Senator, the Supreme Court saying that the Biden White House can send the, the CBP folks down to snip the razor wire. What's your thought on how all of this has played out? Well, traditionally, you know, the border is a federal responsibility. But what's the state supposed to do when the feds don't do their job? And uh, Texas is a sovereign state. We have 50 sovereign states as part of the United States. But I think Governor Abbott's entirely correct and saying, if the federal government's not going to do its job, we will do it. Um, we're the ones on the front line, and uh, this, we've, we're the ones that suffered the, the burdens and the, the, the challenges of the Biden border crisis. So I, I support Governor Abbott and his effort. Well, I do too. Now let's, let's ratchet it up, uh, crank it up to 11 here. Uh, I think Chip Roy might not be the only member of the House to say, okay, Supreme Court can have its lovely little opinion about what the feds can do, but he is calling on the state of Texas, on Governor Abbott, to, I don't want to say thwart the Supreme Court or thumb their nose or defy them, but simply to continue to, my understanding is this morning, of Texas National Guard is putting up more razor wire. Is that okay? I think, you know, this harkens back to, I think it's 1830 when Andrew Jackson uh, said to Chief Justice Marshall after a Supreme Court opinion, uh, Chief Justice Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it. So I would keep doing what needs to be done. And uh, I think, as Governor Abbott said after the Supreme Court made its decision, this is not over. I think there's going to be further litigation, and uh, I would say, you know, you got to do what you got to do. 
Having invoked Supreme Court's uh, then and now, let's let's wrap up with this. The uh, you know, John Roberts is a mixed bag anyway. Amy Coney Barrett, what? And I don't want or need the Supreme Court to do my political bidding. I didn't want Roe v. Wade overturned because I'm pro-life. I wanted to overturn because Roe v. Wade was unconstitutional. I believe the state of Texas is on the right side of the Constitution. John Roberts failing to see that is not a shocker. Amy Coney Barrett is disillusioning. It's just continuing proof that you can get Trump nominees, Reagan nominees, conservative nominees, and they don't always do what you think they're going to do. Well, you remember David Souter. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, what a what a disappointment he was. Obviously, once these judges are confirmed, they have lifetime tenure. They're supposed to be separated from politics. Sometimes I worry that they're not entirely separated from politics. But the good thing about this is this, this is just a temporary holding. This isn't the end of this litigation. And I think the Supreme Court is going to have to come to grips with, uh, you know, what, what can a sovereign state like Texas do when the federal government doesn't do its job? Any long-term, genuine solution to the border has got to include something I've been pushing for pretty much as long as I've been on this radio program, beginning, yes, in 2000, a border wall. The Senate is now considering the legislation addressing the border, along with Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan. I turn to Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn to talk specifically about the wall. I'd like to turn to the immigration negotiations. Everything that I can learn, it sounds like a disaster to me. I've been doing this show since 2000. This will be the fourth immigration comprehensive proposal put forward. It'll be the fourth one that fails in the House because it doesn't have a wall in it. Now, am I wrong? Is there a wall in it? There is not that border security provision that we all want to see and that Customs and Border Patrol has told us for three decades that they need. They need a physical barrier. Where they cannot have a barrier, they need better technology. And they need more agents and officers on the ground so that they can do their job. And to have provisions that deal with asylum, deal with parole, of course those need to be dealt with. But then to have a speedier way for processing and for giving uh, work permits, no. We are not going to vote, and I am not going to vote for anything that makes illegal immigration legal. And that is what this administration continues to try to do. They are trying to weaken our immigration requirements. Joe Biden could handle this today. He could secure that southern border. He could eliminate the ability to come here and claim asylum. He could do remain in Mexico. He could not parole people into the country. And these are things that if they wanted to secure that border, they could do this. But you, an open border, that is their policy. We're going over a cliff. And I do not understand why. Can you tell me what is going on inside of the conference? Because if there is not 900 miles of wall fully appropriated and authorized, notwithstanding any other law, it's a loser and it will not. And I'm a I'm an immigration moderate, but I do not believe we should go forward without a wall. And if there's no wall in this, I'm again it. And I think most of the party is going to be again it. What is wrong with the conference? And that is what I hear from people. I did a telephone town hall last night 
with people that live in Middle Tennessee. And Hugh, the majority of the questions that came in dealt with immigration. People are going, why is it? that they are getting special rights and privileges. So, 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 Senator, I want to, we're winning. This issue is our issue. We want a wall. The Republicans are going to win. Why are your colleagues going to give away the issue? I, I do not know. As I have said, if we cannot secure the southern border, then we don't need to take a step on this. If Joe Biden is not going to implement the laws that are on the books and see that's the problem right now he is not implementing the laws that are on the books that deal with parole that deal with asylum he is taking the state of texas and arizona to court because he does not want them putting up razor wire putting up containers and that is um causing people that live and work on that border, ranchers and farmers and property owners that back up to that to lose the right to their private property. Coming up, is the Biden administration wavering on its support of Israel? Joe Biden now views Israel and this war as a political liability. Senator Tom Cotton, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Israel continues its war against the terrorist group Hamas. It's a brutal conflict. Israel is making real progress, but the degree to which Hamas is entrenched, their massive and multifaceted tunnel system, the upside-down Maginot Line, has made the going hard, difficult, and it's going to be long. I turn to Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. The deadliest day in the war for Israel since 10-7 occurred when 24 IDF troops died, 21 in a building collapse, three officers in in heavy fighting around Khan Yunus. It occurred on the same day that the Biden administration is using the Wall Street Journal to say that, you know, we don't have to destroy Hamas. Do you sense Team Biden is backing away from Israel now? Oh, there's no question about that, Hugh. And it's not just new. For a couple months now, Joe Biden and the Democrats have been ready to throw in the towel in the fight against Hamas. And it's important to note why they want to do this. not because of some grand strategic calculation, Hugh. It's because Joe Biden now views Israel and this war as a political liability that is costing him political support among the far-left, anti-Semitic wing of the Democratic Party some of whose votes are necessary for him to win re-election in November in places like Michigan and maybe Ohio and Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and I hope that Israel ignores these people, and I hope our party campaigns on supporting Israel. Do you think that will have traction in the fall? If we are 100% with Israel and we communicate that, do you think that moves at least a small percentage of voters? Oh, I think there's no question, Hugh, that voters across the country are going to be moved against what they see is the growing tide of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism in the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden's apparent unwillingness to stand up and, and refute those wings of his party, but rather to cave to them 
and start putting pressure on Israel to find some kind of accommodation uh, again with a bloodthirsty terrorist group that burned children alive and gang-raped women before brutally mutilating and killing them. Um, Israel cannot accept this state of affairs anymore. The Republican Party and Donald Trump recognize that and will be forced square behind Israel. Joe Biden and the Democratic Party is looking to find some kind of accommodation with Hamas. That's not what the American people want. Now, I want to turn for a moment to something that's parochial. You and I are Harvard guys, and I used to like the place, but now... They've come up with a new committee, and they got it wrong again. And here's my first just objective question. You're a senior senator in the Republican Party. You're on judiciary, and you're on defense, and you're on intel. Has anyone from Harvard called you as an alum of both the law school and the college to ask you what you think about the dilemma that they face to fix their anti-Semitism problem? Hardly, Hugh. I think my politics are no longer in fashion at Harvard. They were never in fashion, Hugh, probably like you, uh, you know, many, 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 many decades, <laughs> maybe in the 19th century. Um, you know, I mean, as a conservative, we knew we were minorities in college. But, you know, I never once felt like a beleaguered or oppressed minority or even an unwelcome one. I don't think that's the case today when I visit with college students who come to work for me or intern for me. I think in many college campuses across the country. Conservatives now feel beleaguered and oppressed and unwelcome, and I think that's doubly true at Ivy League schools like Harvard. The rod has set in pretty deeply at Harvard. You know, they announced this anti-Semitism task force. Yet, the, one of the leaders of it uh, is basically an anti-Zionist. You know, has condemned the entire modern project of Israel. You know, you I, I, but here's what I don't understand, Senator. You and Senator Cruz are very high-profile Harvard grads and smart people who could contribute to the conversation, and they haven't called. Well, again, they think the constituencies to which they answer want to hear them equivocate about anti-Semitism. You know, those constituencies being, you know, not just alumni or financial backers of the university, but their undergraduate students, their graduate students, their faculty members, their administrators, how divorced their views of those constituencies are from normal Americans' views. Last weekend, the U.S. saw a number of forces injured after an attack on the Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq. This, of course, is only among the most recent attacks on our troops in the region. We turn now to retired Colonel Robert McGinnis. He was a guest of Joe Piscopo. Who's responsible for the attack on the U.S. military base in Iraq? Uh, do we, we, we have specifics on who did this, correct? Yeah, we do. There are a host of militias over there. Uh, but the responsibility lies with Iran, and I would argue that it's Mr. Biden's failed Middle East strategy, if he has one, uh, that has you know, really enticed the Iranians to you know, strike out at us in every corner of the Middle East. It's not just the Hamas-Israel war or the Houthis or in the Gulf of Aden, where they've taken over one of our ships and attacked us. It's against our forces in Iraq and Syria. And, of course, the Iranians are striking out at Pakistan as well. You know, so across the entire region, there's not a single country that's not engaged in some type of hostilities. And, in fact, it's behind the scenes that Iran appears to be the instigator. And it's so upsetting that this administration won't listen. And it, what, what, so could you explain to us, uh, Colonel, if you would, why doesn't the administration listen to folks like yourself that have been saying this, that you've got to stranglehold Iran because they're responsible for everything, uh, you know, starting with October 7th? What, what are they missing in this administration, sir? 
Well, they don't read history, Joe. Back in November of 1979, I can recall when the Islamists took over Tehran, the government, and yeah. kicked yeah. out their, their former king. And as a result, we've had nothing but trouble from uh, the Persians. Uh, they have continued to strike out, try to take over the Middle East, threaten Israel, threaten us. And, of course, uh, as a direct result... Yeah, you know, we've responded. Now, under the Trump administration, I, I believe that, you know, we had them well where we wanted them. We drained their coffers so they couldn't fund these radical proxies across the world. Uh, they discontinued, of course, their nuclear program, and we kept uh, a lid on that. Unfortunately, when the Biden people came in, they lifted sanctions against Iran. Uh, they declared the Houthis no longer a terrorist organization. They funded indirectly Hamas. They've done everything contrary to what needs to be done. You know, we see the entire region now at a fever pitch, perhaps going to a regional war, and I blame it clearly upon Mr. Biden and his failed strategy. This is this is uh, almost treasonous. Is that too dangerous to say that, sir? No. Well, you're turning your back on your allies, and I would argue that the Biden administration is undermining you know, the Netanyahu government and trying to you know, short shrift right, them right. in every area possible. And, of course, uh, Blinken is their front man, but it's Mr. Biden's policy ultimately that's going to be judged. We have U.S. service members that are dying off the coast of Yemen uh, because of this regime in right. Washington. We have right. people that are dying you know, or getting hurt now 140 attacks in Iraq and Syria where we're trying to protect ourselves from the Islamic State that, you know, really ran amok during the Trump administration was put down. And so here we have not only another region that is hot and heavy that is joining what's going on in Eastern Europe with Ukraine. And, of course, uh, President Xi in China is threatening once again you know, to take over Taiwan in the next couple of years. So, you know, throughout the region, throughout the world, uh, we have broken strategies on the part of the Biden administration. And that's going to ultimately hurt us directly, not only economically, but it's going to charge lives against our future. And that's something that we should not tolerate. Coming up. When President Biden came into office, the first month he delisted the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment, stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. As we just saw in the last segment, the world in 2024 is a very dangerous place. Virtually all the unrest we're seeing in the broader Middle East goes back to Iran. Iran is behind Hamas. Iran is behind Hezbollah in Lebanon. Iran is behind the attacks on our troops in Iraq and Syria. And Iran is behind the Houthi rebels operating out of Yemen. Kash Patel served as Chief of Staff to Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller in the Trump administration. Patel joined Victor Davis Hanson on his podcast. Before we get into anything, today in the news, the Houthis was supposedly designated as a terrorist organization. There's there's a lot of uh, reports that this is sort of a phony label. Iran is responsible for the Houthis attacks, the Hamas attacks, the Hezbollah attacks. Seems to be immune from serious consequences from us. Maybe you could just tell us, first of all, what was this sudden, I don't even know if it's an about face on the part of the Biden administration to designate them some sort of terrorist organization. Explain from your legal expertise what that means and then what Iran is doing and what we should be doing about it. Yeah, this is a great starting point for national security. Look, this is worse than an about face. An about face would have meant that Joe Biden and his administration admitted they got it wrong out of the gate. And what I mean by that is when I was running President Trump's counterterrorism programs at the White House, we immediately listed the Houthis, an Iranian mercenary proxy force, as a foreign terrorist organization. And what that allowed us to do is mandate congressional notifications for economic and diplomatic sanctions across the board. Furthermore, it stifled Iran and the Houthis' ability to do trade and business with any American ally or banking system. And from my standpoint, it allowed us to kinetically operate, target, and collect against a hard target that was killing and striking Americans and American allies. When President Biden came into office, the first month, he delisted the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization, taking away all of those capabilities to defend our nation against Iran's proxy force, Iran, the largest state sponsor of terror. And now we fast forward and see the disaster that's going on in Israel and the Red Sea. We see American ships getting attacked. We tragically saw two U.S. Navy special warfare operators get killed in an operation that Biden and Austin launched recently, all done by the Houthis. And now today, the mainstream media is puppeting Joe Biden's national security, quote unquote, achievements by saying he's listing the Houthis as a, as a terrorist organization. Well, he hasn't done that. He has labeled them a specially designated global terrorist, what we call an SDGT. That is a stark distinction from labeling them an FTO, a foreign terrorist organization, like we did under Donald Trump. The former, the SDD designation, is simply what we call an OFAC listing. OFAC is the Office of Foreign Asset Control in the Treasury Department. All that means is the Treasury Department is now on notice to look at financial transactions that the Houthis participate in because they might be suspicious. You mean to there look at no them, but not to sanction them in any punitive mass manner? 
Right. Look the SDDG designation does not afford any mandated sanctions diplomatically or economically across the board at all. It notifies Congress of nothing because there are no sanctions in place. Furthermore, Joe Biden, as president under the SDGT designation, can waive any relief he wants over the Houthis under this quote unquote designation. So it's basically a paper tiger. And the media is now saying, oh, Joe Biden fixed his errors, but he hasn't. He's only doubled down on them and he's allowing the Houthis to operate as a terrorist organization and not treating them as such. I ask, I ask you a question because the common denominator is obviously the theocratic government in Tehran, and it's mm-hmm. it's supplied the Hezbollah with over a hundred thousand plus rockets or missiles, guided, very sophisticated now that have basically made it impossible to live along the northern border in Israel. I think it's pretty clear, despite this administration's denial, that they knew in advance or helped mm-hmm. plan the attack uh, on October seventh. They're supplying the Houthis. They have a new, I guess, quasi-alliance. They're supplying drones to Russia, but alliance with Russia, China. There's friendlier with Turkey than they've ever been, North Korea. And yet there's an inert response. And it has to be one of three things or all of them. And I'll just lay them out there, and then I'll just turn it over to you, and maybe you can comment. Is it a general leftist idea that the more in foreign affairs that you appease aggression, that magnanimity will be reciprocated by your niceness rather than be considered weakness to be exploited? Or is it there's something about Iran uh, that we saw in the Obama administration that's continued by the Biden administration? They have some bankrupt idea that a Tehran, Damascus, Beirut, Gaza nexus somehow creates, I guess you'd say, tension in the Middle East and balances uh, the Arab moderate or Gulf regimes, Israel, against this new axis, and that allows us to manipulate it or to keep out of it? Or is it just this is an election year and they feel that people are starting to remark, even independents and Democrats, that things were pretty calm when you guys were in there, and now the entire world is blown up? Coming up, more on Iran and their terror proxies. They are going to be able to carry out these style attacks for years to come unless there is a force to countermand that. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. It was in May of 2018 when the Trump administration made it formal. They were pulling out of the JCPOA. That's the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action coming from the Obama era that in a nutshell went soft on Iran, the Iran deal. It didn't take long for President Biden to shift course back to an accommodationist, I would call it appeasement approach, to the terror-supporting state of Iran. On day one of his administration, Biden signaled his interest and willingness to re-enter the naive and wrong-headed agreement. Let's pick up with Victor Davis Hanson with Cash Patel. They want to manage this conflict so that it doesn't break out into a multi-nation regional war right before the election. Is it all of them or what is it? Well, when you broke it down in that fashion, I almost hadn't thought of it in that way. And I think 
Um, it's all of them. I think it's a confluence of these events in a hot political election cycle to avert catastrophe. But unfortunately, I think we've, we're too late to averting catastrophe. We're already there. And what I mean by that is Donald Trump's national security policy during his administration was pretty simple when it came to Iran. Do not let them get a nuclear weapon. That was the backstop of the entire policy against the largest state sponsor of terror. Now, there was two different approaches as you well know, with the JCPOA and the Obama administration, which gave them money, waived sanctions, and allowed them to build up nuclear material. And we just had to believe that Iran wasn't going to use it for any nefarious purposes. Donald Trump took the opposite approach, withdrew out of the JCPOA, and said, absolutely not. And we're going to go in there and visit the sites ourselves through UN inspectors and make sure you're not doing what you say you're not doing. But with the with the excuse me, Biden administration, I think they have come in there and said, well, Donald Trump was such a strong force against Iran. And even though he was successful politically, we have to take another route. We have to go back to the Obama days and say, we're going to be nice. We're going to hope it works. And then we're going to have the mainstream media go out there and puppet some sort of successes that we're having over in Iran, which they're not having. But since they have a disinformation campaign machine at the ready I think they're able to, unfortunately, engineer a narrative that's false that says we are countermanding Iran's threat presence. But when you look at what's happened, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Houthis, all Iranian proxy forces, all flush with cash because Joe Biden unfroze $6 billion of Iranian money, allows all those forces, as you highlighted, to go out and purchase weapons and delivery systems and munitions and arms from the CCP and Russia all to be utilized against American and American allies like Israel over there and to thwart Red Sea traffic and operations. So the calamity, in my opinion, is upon us. And I think Joe Biden is trying to mask that calamity and, and paint over that disastrous national security policy by saying, oh, look what we did. We listed the Houthis. We're on our way to success. Or look what we did. We're, 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 we're trafficking the Red Sea. But what actually happened is an operation by U.S. special forces that would never have been authorized under any uh, Trump administration because the landscape was too threatening to the security posture. And now we have two dead soldiers and the media is not even talking about that. I mean, I just want to highlight that maybe I'm biased because of my background as a civilian in DOD or, as, you know, in the intel community. We lost two U.S. soldiers in the theater of war because our president and our secretary of defense are essentially mailing it in from the bedside table. And that's just not how you conduct national security. Let me ask you, and given that deterrence is much harder to restore after it's been wasted or it's eroded, it's it's, it's very takes a long time to accrue and it can be lost very easily. And then it's almost impossible to get back. If you were mm -hmm. Cash Patel's national security advisor, DOD secretary, whatever, and Donald Trump was president at this late date, and given the idea yeah. that it would be much harder to restore equilibrium to the Middle East than it would be given that you guys did it over four years and you left a pretty calm Middle East, so, so much that Jake Sullivan, as everybody remembers, said he didn't even have to worry about his Middle East portfolio it was so calm. What, what, <laughs> would you, what would you guys do right now? How, how would you restore it? Maybe you could, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but what, what kind of things you think that Iran would listen to? Because as you point out, they're the, the nexus of all of it. No, you're right. That's a great question. And, and, and it's what Americans should be um, listening for. I think we would do 
what we did in the Trump administration. Remember, it's a multifaceted approach. There's multiple lines of effort. It's not just DOD and Intel. What you have to do, ultimately, the role of the Department of Defense in your uniform military is to create space for diplomacy on the international stage to take charge. But if you need to get to that endpoint or to get to that endpoint, you need the ability to have soft power. You need the ability to have WASTA on the international stage and have global world leaders take the phone calls of the president of the United States. So what we would do, or I believe what President Trump did correctly was one, crippling economic sanctions against the regime and the Ayatollahs in Tehran. Now, they can manipulate their currency all they want, but when you zero it out and make it worthless, not only is it worthless, they can't trade for anything. Then you call up our European allies and the SWIFT banking system folks, and you say, Iran cannot conduct any business with any international banking system and or ally of the United States of America. Should you do that, we, America, will cut you off from our monetary policy and trading structure. Those two forces are very powerful and don't require any DOD or Intel community lift. Then what you do is you turn your Intel community on. And remember, Donald Trump prioritized as a tier one intelligence target, terrorist and the Ayatollahs in Tehran. We killed Soleimani. We killed Baghdadi. We killed Al-Qaeda senior leadership. We did that because they were a threat to our way of life and safety in the Middle East. Joe Biden's number one priorities are climate change, DEI, and white rage. You know, and I say some of that in jest, but they were literally rolling that out as we speak. So you'd have to recalibrate the entire national security apparatus to prioritize hard target collections against terrorists that want to do you harm. And it couldn't happen overnight. You're right, Victor. It's not a one-year fix, maybe even. But it is a fix that can be implemented immediately. And I think that's what Donald Trump's sort of been running on here and campaigning about, especially when it comes to the national security threat that is Iran. And you don't necessarily even then have to deal with the Ayatollahs in Iran because you've cut them off from the rest of the world. But Joe Biden has basically flushed them with $6 billion in cash, opened up the ports, opened up the trade, and opened up their economy. And now they're going to be able to carry out these style attacks for years to come unless there is a force to counterman that. I think what everybody's listening, what you just said kind of reminds us of what Winston Churchill said to Neville Chamberlain and, of course, to Stanley Baldwin. He said, you had a choice between dishonor and war. You took dishonor. You chose dishonor and Mm -hmm. you ensured war. And they had a choice between being deterrent and they would have had peace. And and yet they appeased. And now I think they're going to give us a war. Coming up. The Iranians have conducted 135 missile strikes on U.S. military installations in the last 90 days alone. A few more minutes with Cash Patel. In the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, when we return. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Cash Patel has made the point well. We are living in dangerous times. I'd argue that the threats we are facing today are of a magnitude unlike any we've seen since 910 or 1938 or May of 2014. 
Couple that with the fact that we're in a presidential election year where our deeply polarized nation is distracted and the dangers are only increased. Let's catch a few more minutes of Victor Davis Hanson with Cash Patel. Uh, Iran yeah. is not stupid. Of all of our adversaries, they're the most cunning, I think. And they realize that we're in election year and that Joe Biden has lost control of foreign affairs. I, I imagine they're going to be even more risk-taking than they have in the past. And what if what you said, and everybody has listened to it, what you've said is that these sanctions, these terrorist labels are not even effective. And the fact that they're not effective and they know that we know they're not effective and they know that we chose a name only terrorist uh, designation without real teeth, it's going to what don't you think it'll just only further embolden them and think, wow, they're so worried about us that they come up with this phony designation, but it won't stop our operations to any degree. So they must be even weaker than we thought. You raise a great point. I don't think Iran's going to stop. And look, it's no coincidence that the Iranians, along with the CCP and other terrorist organizations, are using our southern border, which is open, to seed in their operatives into the United States of America. And you don't have to take my word for it or any conservative media outlet's word for it. Chris Ray and Alexander Mayorkas testified 35 days ago that they are aware of at least two dozen known foreign terrorists who illegally entered our southern border, and now the DHS and FBI do not know where they are. Now, they're telling me to believe it's only 24 out of 10 million. I think the number's higher. But what Iran has done, this goes to your point, is they have taken advantage of the landscape, of the diminished law enforcement capability, and the deprioritization by Joe Biden of removing criminals and foreign terrorists from the United States of America and said, we're going to go all in. Not only are we going to strike, just think about this, the Iranians have conducted 135 missile strikes on U.S. military installations in the last 90 days alone. And we've lost U.S. service members and they have six billion dollars in cash and they can trade with the CCP and Russia. Those guys are combining efforts against us at our southern border because they know they are going to run a two front operation against us domestically and internationally overseas. And you're right, Victor, Iran is not stupid. Saying Iran and the Ayatollahs are dumb is extremely dismissive and a poor national security approach. And they are taking advantage of us. They are taking advantage of our quote unquote former allies. And they're also aligning with our enemies because they have one goal in mind. How do we defeat America? And they're doing that successfully, unfortunately, with Joe Biden at the helm. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes, please, at our website, townhallreview.com. Sign up for a daily dose of the best in talk radio. If you like our program and podcast, please take a moment to share it with a friend. Leave a comment. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Bouchon, Alex Perez, Harley Idy, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, where I should note Victor Davis Hanson serves as the inaugural Giles O'Malley Distinguished Visiting Professor. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.